All right. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, everyone. Um, as for those that are watching this, may have realized based on a previous members only episode, I am doing some traveling, but within 24 hours of this being recorded, I will be back at, uh, at home base, as they say, pertaining to the usual setup. But today, uh, to change things up here with Brandon from Expanding Reality, um, here with our Expanding Generations series. That's that's the, the title, correct? Generation Reality. Generation I Reality. I love every, this. Yeah. Every <laughs> single time, every single time. We'll be looking today at a couple different things aerokinesis um the singularity emergence quantum electrodynamics and lucille ball's dental communications literally um so without further ado brother how you doing today and is there anything you wanted to bring up before we delve into i guess aerokinesis to, to start off with man i just want to say hi it's good to see you brother uh, as always and maybe a dental dam is what we can call but dental like damn is what we can call that last segment with loose loose ball because that's funny that's I an awesome it. oversight uh to say the least but uh dude i'm doing well i'm doing very well thank you for asking everybody out there watching and listening i hope y'all are doing well as well and uh dude this is so cool i mean the stuff that you sent the stuff we're going to talk about i'm absolutely excited as always uh just to hang out and just break this universe apart with you brother so let's do it awesome so let me uh let me share my screen here to get this going so we see here that actually give me one second very quickly just going to clear some uh some running programs that are not needed here we go yeah right so let's see here keep forgetting i'm not on the desktop in some cases um but <laughs> Let's so according to qphysics.com, and we can look at some other areas to define this as well. But aerokinesis is the physical influence of flow in regards to elemental gases such as oxygen, hydrogen, carbon, and nitrogen. Again, speaking to uh, particularly with respects to hydrogen, you know, Planck multiplied by golden ratio uh, three times over a particular integer state seem to comprise the uh, exact radii or radius of hydrogen, which are the same hydrogen cones that I would like to thank our great friend of the show, Scott, um, from uh, Curiosus Animus for uh, even informing me about that. Hydrogen cones or spiral vortexes are the only, I guess we could say, element or thing that actually can um, exit a black hole, regardless if it's a, uh, a black hole of a you know traversable state or in many different areas. Now, what's interesting is that going back to aerokinesis, and I quote, it includes the influence of flow in regards to gas mixtures in which each element of gas retains its own chemical properties and makeup, similar to that of, say, I don't know, plasma, if you will. But for instance, air is a homogeneous mixture of the gaseous substance nitrogen, oxygen, and smaller amounts of other substances. It also appears to include the influence of greenhouse gases such as water vapor and thorough this form of psychokinetic phenomenon or through excuse me experiments can manipulate how gases or air flows and behaves relative to velocity and rotation which speaks to vorticity turbulence and even sir roger penrose's spinners um, this can be achieved through remote indirect and direct contact with these gases the most common gas reported in regards to aerokinetic phenomenon is air now and quote before we go on what's interesting is that when we think of the concept of air you know being empty space if you will which is really not empty we then wonder what are we interacting with if anything in my particular personal belief, it would be that of the, the I guess you could say the quantum vacuum, which speaks to zero point energy and all of this. But what are we interacting with that creates this vacuum to fluctuate that we call air that seems to have some type of, quote unquote, dare I say, organic response to these gases, which 
again, these, when we say gases, what do we mean by that? Well, oh, I don't know, ball lightning, plasma, the things that, again, in academia have not really been delved into extensively for what reasons one can speculate. But did you want to jump in at all, uh, Brandon, pertaining to this? Yeah, I mean, this electric phenomena is atmospheric. So this is something that's huge. And this is something, again, you know, and this speaks to free energy technology. This speaks to the ether, the vortex, all of these things where you can just pull directly from what's all around you just as abundant as oxygen. And so whenever you look at things like this, it, it makes you very excited, especially with what they're doing with igniting gases and creating plasmas and different different uh things like that. And, you know, I'm going to do my best not to make uh, too many fart jokes, but I will not be holding them in if I if I feel so compelled to release those things. But uh, this this is amazing. And then I wanted to say to the hydrogen thing as well, um, the, you know, there was a there's a conspiracy theory uh, about how hydrogen, how so valuable it was that the Hindenburg was actually like a psyop. It was it was meant to go and look like it's this dangerous thing and that, you know, you shouldn't want to be anywhere near it. And so they they posed it in this light. But really, it's extremely valuable and actually a lot safer, I think, than a lot of people think. But because it does hold the keys to something, they vilify this stuff to make it to make it to where you don't want anything to do with it. That's interesting, because what we'll find here is that, to your point, motion versus inertial forces. Reports regarding the influence of gases in a static state are equal to that of reports regarding the influence of gases in motion. This I find quite peculiar because this speaks to something called scalar commensurability, where the measurement of each scalar state is equal to that of the, say, for example, the, the, longitudinal, the longitudinal wave is equal in a multitude of different forms of me, uh, conjecture-based measurements to that of the, uh, I believe it's called the transversal wave. So you have horizontal and vertical associations lining up, and I think they they need to line up because, in, and I, I don't want to say need, but it's almost as if the blueprint of what we're in has to line up because it all depends on the state of, uh, the state of, the state of observ observability from the individual viewing it. So it's like if I'm viewing something from one area or one angle or one part of a particular, you know, one part of this, this room that I'm in and you, Brandon, are viewing it from another, by definition, if that consensus reality, hundredth monkey effect type placebo effect, um, you know, broken telephone concept, if you will, except this time would probably be a more of a non-broken telephone in this regard, oh, yeah. right, screams to our subconscious in a state of equilibrium, we, we would have to be, quote unquote, viewing that same whatever we're viewing in an equal form of, of observability because if we're not that then creates the um the realization that there may not be a consensus confinement that we may be within i don't want to say trapped but perhaps collectively reinforcing if that makes sense absolutely and this is what they say like the moon is you know it's this projected hologram to where it's like a misty you know thing and if you think about how much water and humidity and things like this is here i had mike ricksecker on and he actually said something incredibly interesting that ghosts aren't normally around volcanoes and that's because they're very dry and i was like well that's interesting what do you mean about that and he was saying that um it's high humidity that creates these type of uh, I guess, environments for these things to be then basically cast on. And you think about how important water is for the, you know, conductivity. It's like everything, right? Um, you know, God lives in water and, and everything really, right? But how uh, it's connected to emotion and all of that kind of stuff. And it's interesting that ghosts will haunt, or depending on the humidity, is how visible they'll be. Like, that's really interesting to me. So also with this, like what you're saying is, 
with all of this here, what if this reality is kind of just like a gas cloud that's around your head only, and around it is being projected all of this imagery that, that people want you to see? And again, this is like, you know, the moon matrix stuff and David Icke's work and things like this about how the moon is actually projecting this fake reality on top of our fifth dimensional reality, and it's been hijacked, and this could visually, you know, perhaps be expressed in this way of a... a it's a holographic thing, but there's sort of a cloud. And this may even come down to like a mixture of gases. Like maybe oxygen's not good. Maybe oxygen is what fuels this whole damn thing. Because when they talk about uh, immortal animals, have you ever heard of those? Yes. Yeah, the, all of them are aquatic. So it's very interesting too. And they say like that oxygen's actually just killing us, you know, over this long period of time. And it's just really interesting when you start really combining all of these kind of different ideas with some uh, scientific evidence like what we're discussing here. It's just really interesting. Dude, okay. I'm about to go on a little bit of a ramble, forgive me, but you gave what me would? a very incredible- uh, I'll not I, forgive I, you because you don't need to be forgiven. I'm looking forward <laughs> to it. Not to sound conceited, but I, I think a, a, not incredible, but exciting path to pursue here. So this Please. is, okay, talk about synchronicity. Speaking of what you just said pertaining to different gaseous states, not to split hairs here, but what is a gaseous state once you zoom in to what we now know or call the quantum level? Right. So that speaks to, OK, we see a cloud of, as it's called, entanglement, chaos, confusion, you name it. But if you zoom, right. Yeah. If you zoom in, hold on. It's not a cloud. It's something much more detailed, more concise, if you will. But then you, if we look even smaller, we see a cloud. But if we zoom into that cloud, it just keeps going and going. But what's interesting about this, though, is that what I find peculiar is there have been studies very recently and for, forgive me more so to the audience for not recalling where i saw this from but I, I will be referencing this in an upcoming recording as well on a let's get banned but there are instances where um doctors uh, parapsychologists hypnotic uh, regression uh, regressionists uh, you know channelers psychics you name it have claimed time and time again and in many cases through academically oriented studies that seem to, you know, again, void all of the potential environmental factors that could influence that study, have talked about how a lot of their subjects, particularly children, have, um, for better or worse, is not for me to say, but have claimed to have the same past lives in different, um, how can I say? So for example, you have, say, one kid named Charlie, and then you have another kid named Bob, let's say. Charlie and Bob, they're both living in this reality, plane, dimension, you name it, at the same time. But they both have, under hypnotic regression states, both have memories of the same past lives, which to me speaks to this concept of scalar commensurability. Which again, not saying that, that that was a good thing of what occurred. It's possible, you know, this the the speculation of soul splicing, if you will, if because you know they can't be broken, but they can be spliced, and this whole angle of you know free will can't be broken, but it could be bent. It could follow on, along those lines. But what I find interesting to that here is that we see is that, however, reports suggest experiments may be limited to the influence of one state or the other. Now, what's interesting about this? is that this speaks to the angle of a third option, which is again, that non-determinant, indeterminate option, which is separate from randomness, which is what we spoke about in last week's episode, right? So what I find interesting here is that experiments in which have a high success rate of influencing the flow of static gases, gases at rest, often report the inability to influence the direction of flow successfully once the gas is put into motion. In addition, exper uh, experiments in which report the ability to influence the direction of flow tend to report the inability 
to influence gases in which are not already in motion. And I think what we're seeing here is that, okay, you try to go for tit, tat occurs. You try to go for tat, tit occurs. Essentially that, that dualistic uh, balancing like a teeter-totter. I think what's missing here is finding that even keel of a state of existence and non-existence which speaks to the, the, the collapsing of the wave. Now we see here that this suggests that some experiments of aerokinetic phenomenon, or again, phenomenon, magic, physical realism, whatever you wanna call it, may be more subject to inertial forces, whereby limiting some experiments to the influence of or inability to influence gases in stable equilibrium. I think what we're seeing here is that certain gases that are in what they call stable equilibrium cannot be influenced because they've already inserted themselves into the non-destructive implosive vacuum to that next way, uh, level of macro or micro scalability, if that makes sense. So it's kind of like um, the, you know, uh, the roadrunner and, and what's a, Wiley uh, Coyote. There we go. And the coyote, right. There we go. So basically the roadrunner is essentially trying to chase the, uh, the, the coyote, the coyote, right? Coyote's chasing the roadrunner. Thank you. Coyote's chasing yes, the roadrunner. It's like the, the coyote's trying to chase the roadrunner into a cave, but the roadrunner figured out how to get through the very narrow part of the cave, where the, whereas the coyote, he just can't figure it out because he doesn't realize that he needs to, again, this goes back to spirituality, the concept of bliss, the collapsing the wave of relaxation. He can't get through that hole because his muscles are so tense in trying to chase the roadrunner, but the roadrunner's already gone if that makes sense. It's that same idea. It does. And it's an interesting point you bring up about just um, the state of stuff, you know, because we look at things like this real scientifically, but when you, when you, you phrased it that way, something I was thinking about was this state of anxiety. And so, yes, you will puff up, you know, it made me think of the story of the monkey and the apple and the tree. Have you ever heard this? They put an apple inside of a hole in the tree and a monkey reaches in and grabs it and they can trap a monkey this way. And the reason is, is because the monkey won't let go of the apple to squeeze back out. So it's like a tense thing, you know what I mean? So they, they get tensed up and they can't realize that the key is right there. Their freedom is there. Another thing, and I don't know if I mentioned it with you yet, but the idea of a, a full-grown elephants, um, which is kind of tragic, but they can take a full-grown elephant and chain it to a plastic chair and it will stay there forever. It won't ever run off. And the reason is, is because when they're super young, they chain them to poles. And so they struggle and struggle and struggle and realize that that chain isn't going anywhere so they can actually chain it to anything and they don't test it because they've already done that as a young one and so they've gotten over questioning their reality and they'll just be tied to a plastic chair for as long as you'll ask them to stand there and it's pretty interesting when you think about this stuff psychologically that if this only can force through well yes the roadrunner was able to defy physics in a way maybe not just because of the way he's built but also because of his state of being you know when we talk about like ascension and stuff it's it's what you are right not you know, these, these relaxed vibes and stuff like that, that's an ex ascended type of a mindset, you know, that's something achieved. So yes, you would gain access to things that you didn't before, because you're not in this state, you know what I mean? Right. And I wanted to bring up here as well to share my screen regarding scalar commensurability. I think it's important that, that we, we look at this because say, for example, we have, uh, just to make sure you can see my screen. Yes, sir. Okay. So say I'm we have, excited. for example, I love the youth. Oh, thank you. <laughs> say we have, uh, let's say a, a state here of whatever, a cloud, a gaseous cloud, whatever we want to call it, a state of entropy, certain things occurring in a certain state or what have you. And then say, for example, we have um, another event occurring here. But see, the thing is, is that this is all occurring 
within, let's say, one room. And so say this stick person here is me. Let's say we'll go Dave over here, and then we'll go, I don't know, let's just say, you know, Brandon, you're over here. This speaks to, again, reinforcing that concept or topic of, um, and this is even before we get to the Lucille Ball stuff, and we have Brandon here, regardless of which direction, let me just change colors real quick, we are viewing these states of action. And when we, when someone says, okay, what are these states of action in which we're viewing? Could be anything, could be a TV going on here, could be pets playing, it could be, you know, whatever it is. But say I, as Dave, am viewing something from here, from this particular spot, and then Brandon is viewing it from here, there seems to be a consistent um, how can I say it? Let, let's go like this, actually. Let's take the um, this yellow and actually try and elaborate on this a little bit. There seems to be a consistent cloud or gaseous state of entropy occurring around this particular vicinity of things when we are viewing it, again, based on the observability of that whole concept of, you know, the cone, sort of like when you're viewing something in a video game. Now, what I find quite peculiar about all of this is that when we, let me stop sharing for a second, let me head back to uh, Safari over here. When we head to um, right over here, motion versus inertial forces. We see here experiments in which have a high success rate of influencing the flow of static gases, gases at rest, often report the inability to influence the direction of flow successfully once the gas is put into motion. I would say, for example, if we head back to that, um, to that sketchboard there, the reason, for example, that let's say this is a gaseous cloud that is static, it is because potentially, not saying this is the reason, but the more people give intent and focus to that particular gaseous state of entropy or neg entropy, the more quote unquote stable it is going to be relative to the mass, again, if you want to call it consensus reality, placebo effect, uh, subconscious um, reinforcement, uh, uh, whatever the... Um, what's it called again, uh, 100th monkey effect, you name it. This speaks to the concept of scalar commensurability. So what do I mean by that? So say, for example, we're viewing this event here and it's occurring within this particular state of entropy. Dare I say, there may be another spot on the planet that mathematically is maybe not parallel, but perpendicular that is, ironically enough, parallel in a Euclidean sense in mathematics, Euclidean, meaning, you know, right angle vectors, vector states and all of that, which quick side note, if you look all around you, we're in right angles everywhere. So that's a little bit of a, of a, of a trip too. But point is, is that th this, what, what is occurring within this yellow circle is as a matter of fact, occurring elsewhere on the planet in a larger, let's say entropic state that encompasses just like the Matryoshka dolls, just like harmonic oscillations that encompasses the action of that smaller movement that we're observing at a smaller scale. However, this is, let's, let, let's just break this down very simply in the sense that, in my opinion, let's use pink purple here. Um, this would be observation number one, right? Now this here, the larger circle would be observation number two. For me now, the question becomes, when we speak to thick time and this concept of a third non-determinant, going back to our, our uh, 
discussion last week, brother, of a third um, potentiality occurring. Why can't there be, and I'm actually going to draw it again for, to visualize, why can't there be, to those that are saying, well, Dave, why can't there be a third state or third option? Because in my opinion, this third option is existing, but also not existing simultaneously that is only occurring within the now based on the, the people, in this case, the stick people, focusing on the original source of that intent, if that makes sense. So now what you have is instead of the third uh, circle here of entropy being yellow, let's outline it, say, with, um, with green to signify that the green implies that the third state is here, but it also is not simultaneously based on the state of vibration, but it's not here because we have not given thought to it yet but there is a potential outcome where we already have so by giving both and neither attributions to both the physical and non-physical gaseous states what you have is you cannot create a sense of i guess um of uh of static motion when you're on one side of the coin and then you can't create a sense of motion or um uh, uh, not static of uh, static uh states on one side and then on the other side you cannot move things because the other side is too heavy like a teeter-totter you need one side to push up the other in order for both to balance so i know that forgive me if this is all over the place if it's a bit of a an a sort of blabbling on concept but the this speaks to essentially all i'm trying to say is this speaks right back to is it going to rain tomorrow yes no or it hasn't been set yet you know, and what's so interesting about what you're saying is the potentialities and as well as the observer effect is what we're talking about here, because also this what you receive literally is based on your paradigm, and that would be probably circle two. So you can also think of this like the game telephone, like you mentioned earlier, but also you can think of this like the closer you are in proximity to an event, the clearer the picture is for what you were meant to see. Now, the further that ring goes out physically from the event, let's say time included in this, even people further back from a physical event, let's say something happens on stage and you're in the front row. Well, if you're on the 30th row, you're going to see, perceive it differently. And this wave of physical experience that branches out from this also, yes, with its nothing happened at all counterpart, because that's part of this, right? The dark matter, light matter, all matter and dark matter and all that, you have to have this this polar opposite or this opposition in conjunction with it and so that potentiality state is yes what we're talking about now that also means that um, whenever you view things like this that it changes so one person can see and I know that we've you, you see that example of like the six and the nine right and someone people are standing on either side about it arguing about it but it's really they're both correct but it's a dichotomy right and so this also exists so if everything is correct and everyone sees the same the fact that people see things completely differently exists as well. So it's it's like, which one are we operating with? So is there a consensus reality or not? Is there one thing that's emanating a reality wave from it where we're all perceiving it the same way? Or is it just as likely and maybe not the actual reality that there's a 50% chance that that's not the case at all, right? If everything has its polar opposite, and that means certainty as well. And that's what that uncertainty thing is all about. If, you have, if you're incredibly certain, there's something absolutely certain, well, the uncertainty element of it must exist also. 
like somewhere. And maybe we experience that from time to time. Or maybe we live in the world like on the other side of the mirror, like in the mirror, that's the real you. And you're just the mirror version of it. And it's out there living your life. And you're just mirroring the changes, you know, to mirror it as you walk through your day when it's away from the mirror. Like who the hell knows on this kind of shit, you know? And if that's the case, then the inverse would exist in either reality or the opposite or the mirror version of it. It's pretty I, wild. I couldn't agree more. And I actually want to thank you for bringing that up because this actually adds perfectly to, to what I was, uh, to what both you and I have been explaining here. So again, we have this concept of, well, all right, we got, um, let's see here. Let's just make this a little thinner. Uh, again, possibility one occurring, right? We'll check that box if it occurs. Possibility, let's change the color here. And I'm I'm doing this deliberately so we can, it speaks mm -hmm. to your six and nine uh, angle as well as uh, an, a visual and etymological perspective too, which I'll bring up in a second. So this also speaks to James Maxwell's G potential being removed, right? So again, will it rain tomorrow? Maybe, perhaps that's, that would be, again, maybe it will. Okay, will it not rain tomorrow? All right, so again, if it's going to rain tomorrow, that means that it won't not rain. So this box needs to be left open essentially. But the idea would then be that what if there's an indeterminate that is different from randomness, which again, it means that the universe has not been given or the cosmos has not been given a set of outcomes. It's truly, um, it's, it, it, I can't put my finger on what it is, but I can definitely try and allude to what it's not. If that makes sense. Absolutely. That, that, that'll get you there, man. That's, that's right. the way to, yeah, that's the, most of the things that I find is just what's not true. And I go right. from there. Yeah. Right. And, and speaking to your whole six and nine concept, I want to, there's an article I saw recently that came from, I believe the university of Toronto, something along the lines of, I'm just paraphrasing here. Uh, it's possible we, we may be living inside of a cylinder, a tube, you name it. Well, again, regardless of how one via the platonic solids compresses and contracts that, Again, that speaks to the whole concept of the vortex and the spiral in just different states, a thinner spiral, a thicker spiral. But see, for example, say we have um, these two people right over here. Say this is you again, uh, Brandon. We'll put thank B you. here. You made me the most um, handsome, and I don't. Uh, I, I appreciate that. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Yeah, look, I even <laughs> see, look, I got the hair there. So. Oh, shit. There we go. Okay. <laughs> um, so we see now, say I stand over here. This goes back to the what we were discussing earlier of being in the same room. I see, for example, the number six, right? Brandon sees, say, the number nine. Now, here's what's interesting. I know this may not be the most uh, visually uh, depictive, uh, you know, illustration but if we connect the two like this we have a again, complete hole yeah we have a complete hole we have the cylinder that's or the tube that we may be living in forgive me it's much more illustrative when i use a pen but it's the same idea it comprises the same angle of the cylinder which again if we were to say i don't know thin out one part compared to the other it would interestingly enough speak to hold on let me see if i can get the photo here um it would speak to this whole idea of what we may uh, be experiencing. Ah, perfect. Here we go. Let me open this up and let me share here. So we see, again, let's look at this one last time and let's just take this cylinder and say, what if we, again, what if Brandon's part of the cylinder was thicker than mine? So there's a little bit of a narrowing there. And then of course you have the, the, 
third potentiality of, of non-local um, phase conjugation going right through the middle. Now, what happens when we look at this? Is there much of a difference? Mm, the Dendora light bulb. Right, this, this idea of this, this hose of consciousness being sprayed over certain parts of the planet compared to others. And not saying this is what is, but again, we see the snake, the serpent, the Ouroboro, you name it, that speaks to the particle fluctuations of zero point energy vacuums, but also potentially, again, us as people holding this up, this praise of whatever externally, rather internally is propping up for better or worse is not for me to say, but maybe it's for the sake of experiencing and getting, uh, again, not for lack of a better term, ascending out of here, but it speaks to this angle as well of this, I guess you could say, collapsing the wave and escaping the, I guess, uh, time, if that makes sense, which could speak to the whole time fears the pyramids uh, saying that the ancient Egyptians used to have, um, which speaks to, of course, Matt Starforce's work and all of this. But is there anything you wanted to, to jump in on, brother? Yeah, the Dendar light bulb is interesting because, yes, it could denote a, te a technology. But when looked at it kind of through the lens of what we've been talking here, it's conical in shape. It originates from something organic. Um, it, rather, that's the you know uh, receiver for the light bulb or something like that, the socket. Um, or in this case, you know the lotus, which is another representation for um, the pineal. So this is another thing, that it all comes from you and that the others experiencing your reality, perhaps this one holding it up, again, viewed through this lens, would be part of this system. It would be a another employee of the matrix. It would be a teacher here in Dumbledore. It would be, you know, one of these um, creatures that manifest from your reality as you view it and it changes. But it's still, again, part of you. It's still emanating from you in this fashion of going out. And the snake iconography is very interesting because, yes, Caduceus, we talk about the... Um, DNA strands and all of that. And again, in this conical fashion, this tube type fashion that a DNA would fit perfectly in. And, you know, it, it, this especially just kind of ties all back into the work and a uh, good pull on the Dendara light bulb. That one's, you know, an interesting find. I mean, to, to point to ancient high wisdom, but also, yeah, it could be a technology. It's really, really cool. I appreciate that so much. And what's interesting too, is that I, I wanted to jump into the Lucille Ball's uh, dental communications, because I wonder to what extent aerokinesis, if any, has with this and how the, the singularity emergence seems to be something that may, that may um, play a part. And for those not familiar, the singularity emergence um, infers to a, a point in our time, uh, chronologically, if, uh, by viewing time in a linear sense, um, that will in a way, frequentially create, um, I guess you could say the same way that one, when one takes DMT or even naturally, so to speak, or psychedelics, you see the wave harmonics sort of, I don't want to say collapse, but sort of spread out more so in, in a way. Yeah. What's the, sorry? Undulating. Undulating. Yeah. There, there we go. Very so, kinetic. Yeah. Right. Very kinetic, very fluid very, in, the, in that regard. It's, it would be the same idea, in my opinion, of how aerokinesis and the singularity emergence bring the two together in a way that a lot of people may not be ready for, which speaks to the whole, you know, non-destructive charge collapse and all of that. But um, let me share my screen here and let's take a look at a couple different things here. So let's see the... Um, uh, AlteredDimensions.net, Lucille Ball receives Morse code radio broadcast through dental fillings. The Zanny comic redhead um, that starred in popular television shows such as I Love Lucy, The Lucy Show, and Here's Lucy uh, was one of the most influential comedic stars in U.S. history. Um, of course, 
you know, her background and all and all of that. But according to Lucy, she had picked up Japanese spy Morse code transmissions through her dental work, which led to the arrest of a Japanese spy on American soil. In 1942, during the early days of World War II, U.S. citizens located along the Pacific coast lived in constant fear of an imminent Japanese invasion. A Japanese submarine had already been spotted near the coast early that year. During the wave of panic, a few years before she began filming I Love Lucy, Lucy had several temporary dental fillings fitted in her teeth. Later that day, as she drove home from MGM to her ranch in San Fernando Valley, she heard a strange sound, which she at first thought was music. She reached down to turn off the radio and noticed that it was not on. The music grew louder, and after twisting and turning in the car to determine the source, she was so stunned to realize, uh, stunned when she realized the music was coming from her mouth. According to Miss Ball herself, quote, I even recognized the tune. My mouth was humming and thumping with the drumbeat, and I thought I was losing my mind. I thought, what the hell is this? Then it started to subside. Lucy, uh, end quote, arrived at home, and as she climbed into her bed, wondered if she should tell anyone what had happened. Uh, the next day, she recounted the experience to fellow actor Buster Keaton. Keaton laughed and explained to Lucy that she was picking up TV signals through her new dental work. He explained that the same thing had happened to a friend of his and that there was nothing to worry about. Lucy thought no more about it until it happened again. So again, she was driving home from NGM Studios along a different route this, a, a week after the initial incident, and her mouth started jumping. She immediately recognized the sound was not music, but rather Morse code. So as she continued down the road, the sound began to fade. That speaks to, again, that, that expansion, compression of the source. But again, where is the source? We, we give it the intent of that, that focal point or pillar. But we see here that, again, to the point, Lucy stopped the car and backed up, noting that the sound grew louder and louder until she reached one specific home along her route. The location of the home has never been revealed to the public. I stopped the car and started backing up until it was coming in full strength. I, I, I imagine her teeth were jittering. I gathered. Can you imagine that? So, yeah. <laughs> right. That's what I'm saying. And her, the more her mouth jittered, the more the closer she was. Um, the following day, she told an MGM security officer about the incident, thinking it suspicious. The officer called the authorities. Lucy believed it was the FBI who drove to the home where Lucy said the Morse code signal was the strongest. During a search of the premises, Authorities found a secret underground Japanese radio station. According to Lucy, it was somebody's gardener, but sure enough, they were spies. As odd as the story sounds, it was told during a serious segment of the Dick uh, Cavett show in an interview during which Lucy passed on many other true life stories, some happy, some sad, and this puzzling one. Now, what's interesting is that during her lifetime, Lucille Ball never recanted the tale but other cases of radio signals being picked up through dental work seem to have, again, uh, reoccurred. Now, what's interesting is that there seems to be a point in time in which the SDI with NORAD, the Strategic Defense Initiative, the Star Wars program under the Reagan administration in the 80s, seem to sort of put a, a nip in the bud of all of this, at least amongst the average citizens within North America. Because we find here, for example, um, according to Robert Hunsucker, a professor emeritus at the Geophysical Institute with the University of Alaska, which I believe, Alaska Fairbanks, which I believe is where HARP is, you know, doing a lot of its things out of. Um, my phone isn't that complicated and neither is a receiver circuit. A receiver is so simple, Hunsaker said, that anything from a phone to a person's mouth can act as one. So as we see here at its most basic, a receiver circuit consists of only three elements. There's that number three again, an antenna, which picks up an electromagnetic radio signal, a detector, 
which is an electrical component that converts the radio wave to an audio signal the human ear can pick up in a transducer, which is anything that acts like a speaker. To me, sorry for hogging this for so long, we are the transducer, which is that third strand of potential non-local non DNA, junk DNA as it's been called, that seems to be even at a, even if it's non-local, at a very nano level, seems to comprise that sort of gaseous state of, um, of matter, clouds, hydrogen, plasma, which again is the same set of elements that are not really delved into, at least on the surface of academia, I wonder why, which again speaks to this whole concept of aerokinesis, the ability to manipulate, control, or alter air molecules, wind currents, and control air to an extent with the mind. What's interesting is, again, you cannot create general molecules, unfortunately, of any kind. But we see with this ability, practitioners can manipulate the air around them to change the flow of current and even form gusts of wind. Speaking of which, it is the power to control manifest energy, wind currents, and control air with the mind, just like cloud bursting, cloud busting, that you brought up, just like the, to be honest with you, this seems to be the, the whole voice to skull, the whole God technology, voice of God tech, seems to be an artificial amplification of aerokinesis, which seems to be a very advanced version, in my opinion, of what Mrs. Ball went through, uh, Miss Lucille Ball here at the time. Um, you you want to jump in at all, brother? Dude, could not agree more. First of all, hilarious story. And second of all, you know, whenever you hear that a um, something happened to a celebrity, I, I look at it through two lenses. One, um, it didn't. And so they're just telling you this to make you think that the Japanese threat was bigger than it was because we now have come to find out that it was pretty manufactured. And so whenever a celebrity comes out and says this, then it gets a ton of publicity. All she had to do is just play along, probably receive a huge, you know, thing in cash, and now we're talking about it. But... The, it's very interesting. Um, the other way that I think about this is kind of like the, ah, oh, damn it, what's his name? The senator that went missing flying over Alaska. Anyway, oh. uh, there was a senator that went missing, and so there was a lot of attention given to this one particular case. Also, an abduction occurred in the UK. Same thing, it was a high-ranking official, and so it got a lot of attention. And so what's interesting about this on the flip side of that coin is it's either all made up or... Um, it got brought into the public's consciousness because it was such a high-profile person that something exceptional happened to. Right, now, on right. this particularly, though, you see this spoofed all the time, you know, with the metal plate in the head and people laughing about being able to pick up radio signals and stuff, and that's probably or originated from this story, uh, you know, because this has been done in movies and TV shows and stuff a lot. Um, so that's something that's interesting to this. But also... With what you were saying about the uh, aerokinesis, I've seen people, these videos of people, and they'll put like a glass tube over a toothpick or a pin or something that's real stable, and then they'll put a folded piece of foil on top of it so that it tents over the top of it. And they'll sit there with an enclosed environment, right, and move the thing one direction and another. People doing things with pinwheels, all of this kind of stuff. And yes, the question then is, it's, it's like the Geller spoon bending. Are you bending the spoon or is are you bending around the spoon? You know what I mean? Is reality bending? And that's what's causing this physical thing. Maybe we're not thinking of it right. And that's is there another, like, sorry, to, to that, is there, excuse me, potentially another spoon vibrating at a very different dense, uh, a different state of density that is effectuating that spoon? Yeah, of course. Because, yeah, everything has its opposite, right? The upside down, right? Like even tree roots and they take ground penetrating radar, they mirror the branches above. So there's like an opposite, right? Reaction just to the form, like the base 
understanding of reality. It's there's an opposite of it. And um, what was I going to say? Oh, just like uh, the way that we think UFOs travel, perhaps they don't travel anywhere. Maybe what they do is they stay in one place and they grab reality and yank it around them. It's these kind of things to where you think outside of that box and you're just like, hang on, this opened a whole new way for me to look at this thing. And it's kind of exactly like what we're talking about here. So this aerokinesis or Yes, the cloud bursting. I'm grateful you brought that up because that's a fascinating thing. And just for anybody out there that doesn't doesn't know about that, um, what you do and what people do, and I've done this, is you pick a cloud in the sky. You know, usually you start with a small one and you rub it out. You rub it out of existence, and you say cloud, cloud, go go away. You know, whatever you want to whatever you want to say to focus mental. Is that still just curious, brother? Does that still work? Because I've yeah. I've been. It does. Okay. Because I've been told it's much more difficult depending where on the planet you are to do it these days compared to say 50, 60 years ago. That's Which, interesting. I okay. mean, I could see that. I could see sort of like a, you know, cause there's been this cognitive hijacking that we've really been struggling yeah. against. So it's not even like finding baseline is what we're working towards here. Not even ascension, but we seem to be ascending and doing great even with all the weight around us. Right. And right. so it seems like all they can do is slow it down. They can't stop it. You know, when we say that they, the lizard turds here or whatever, they're your Klaus Angel Schwabs and stuff. But um, so this this whole different perception of reality is what what's so interesting about this, man, because again, this aerokinesis, the cloud bursting and stuff, now you're making a cloud disappear in the sky. Like that will really make you rethink your reality and how powerful you are. And then you then ask, okay, well, what's after that? What's the next step from cloud bursting? Is it physical manipulation like these people, you know, they're putting clouds, they're uh, putting, you know, fire out, snuffing fire with their mind. like really interesting compelling stuff and this is just kids on tiktok this is just people just doing this all over the place it seems to be very prevalent and it kind of makes me think of that movie looper remember that movie have you ever seen that oh yes looper with joseph yeah, and, Levitt and uh, bruce willis yeah perfect yeah. absolutely and i love that movie as a as a thought experiment like it's really cool the premise and everything right. uh, anyway but in that movie you'll see it wasn't too far in the future and people were like levitating coins and stuff and it was this thing where now everybody had a some people had telekinetic powers, but it was everywhere. And even so, it was like limited to coins and small objects. You know, it was very um, they grassroots. Couldn't exceed, they couldn't exceed levitating a, a, an object of certain density, mass, weight, inertia. Yeah, and so yeah. much to the point to where it was annoying. You know, people like, I remember uh, in that one particular scene, his buddy could do it. And he's like, dude, stop doing that. You know, the chicks don't think it's cool. But it's like you're floating something with your mind, you know. And But even they were like over it. So maybe this right. is it, right? We'll get to this development. We'll be able to do this shit. And people are like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But you can't lift a car. You know, show me that. And then it'll be cool. So it's kind of, you know, one more thing. Even when we get superpowers, there, there's going to be people bitching about it. Right. It's always, well, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I got you. And that speaks to relativity, scalability, all of it. Exactly. Um, I was, so I wanted to point out here as well that I wanted to bring up as well, a couple different things here. Um, radio signals picked up via ship's masts. Uh, new scientists once reported, uh, that's an outlet, a, a reader question regarding an incident where the husband and wife heard voices in their heads while on a boat. Several scientists responded, all pointing out how the radio waves were being heard through the ship's masts. Jenny Pollock of Nelson, New Zealand asked, in 1980, my husband and I sailed from New Zealand to Hawaii and back. Just the other day, we confessed to each other that on quiet nights in the middle of the ocean when there was very little wind and hence very little boat noise, we could hear voices coming from the mast. These voices would be both male and female, but you could imagine make out what they were saying. We were both quite sober and were not under stress. Can anyone explain this? Our mast is aluminum and the stays are made of coiled wire. Now, again, it seems that, you know, going back to this concept of the Foo Fighters or 
craft being, you know, uh, aluminum, uh, there seems to be, again, going back to the concept of scalar commensurability and uh, different levels of, of um, entropic states and harmonics and the ripple effect and all of that metamaterials within aluminum within different types of, of what we know to be just basic you know uh, natural uh, minerals seem to be the core composition of making a difference between okay can this aluminum levitate or when when someone focuses at it or can it not 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 to say that the aluminum now cannot be is not levitatable i guess if that's a word but so many uh, frequency fields amongst other forms of inf uh, non-physical uh, phenomenological influences seem to be preventing us from doing that but what's interesting is that we see here our mast is aluminum and the stays are made of coiled wire which speaks to again the aluminum rod the third strand of dna and then the coil surrounding it which speaks to the russian woodpeckers which speaks to some very interesting even to this day american and and five uh, five eyes nato allied and european european union military bases but what we'll find here is that when Jacques Vallée again on Joe Rogan talked about re-engineering something at the subatomic level, again, subatomic, let's break that down for a second, atom, subatom, an atom, what is that, a cloud of gaseous states that as we spoke about just, you know, 40 minutes ago, you zoom in, there is that new state of what is no longer a cloud, but really you're surrounded, dare I say, by different particle fluctuations that if you rearrange could give the effect of a different form of chronological cause and effect of what we call time, right? And it's interesting that it always comes back to the number three, whether it's, you know, three, six, nine, which could speak to, again, 10 to the power of eight and above needing to be the case for any type of um, continuation of photonic activity and then plasma uh, control of, you know, creating a plasma field. Maybe it needs to hit nine because it's that very variability of three, six, nine, which again goes back to that indeterminate variable. But interestingly enough, one of the responses to that question is, quote, the voices the couple heard were radio waves that were being picked up by the mast and stay arrangement. Either the mast or the hull was acting as the speaker. When I was a child, my family and I heard radio broadcasts at night through at nights through our water heater. The pipes acted as the antenna and either the heater itself or the small room it was in acted as the speaker, which again explains in many different regards why there is this concept of neutrinos not being strong enough to carry information. Well, if we're living in an information structure, one would need a conductor for the information to be carried through or to from one spot to another, which speaks to Dan Winters talking about phase conjugation, the wave, the serpent, the naga, how many computer scientists are postulating now that the transition states are more significant than the nodes they're going to. Because again, philosophically, the joy is in the journey. We are the extent in which that, that transition state continues to be the wave of what's called, um, I believe it's called, uh, forgive me, Scott and Mason brought this up earlier, uh, sympathetic vibrations which speaks to then the placebo effect and it speaks to the hundredth monkey effect and going back to our sketch before of, okay, I saw Brandon saw the nine, I saw the six, but it doesn't matter because it's speaking to that inversion of duality. So interestingly enough, one last thing I wanted to bring up too is that again, um, in 1995, David Bartholomew told the tale of an experience similar to Lucille Ball's that left him in great pain. And he says, the phenomenon is real. I attended a field day set up a few years ago, staged by the Westside Amateur Radio Club in LA. They had one of their stations inside a trailer, and the radio had an automatic antenna tuner, 
Well, somebody didn't ground the thing right. I was inside the shack about five feet from the radio when the op said, quote, well, 15 meters is dead. Let's tune it up to 20, end quote. He changed bands and hit the deadly little automatic tune button. The radio began buzzing as the tuner went to work. Also, I let out a scream as one of my teeth with a nice filling in it suddenly felt like a dentist was drilling in it with no anesthetic. I ran from that trailer, uttering obscenities, and the pain vanished as soon as I got clear of the thing. Needless to say, I didn't hang around that particular shack much during the rest of the contest, end quote. Damn. So, again, there's that whole going even back as early as uh, as far back as 95. But again, this was, uh, I, I believe, much earlier than 95 uh, compared to the, I guess you could say the frequencies that could be absorbed or felt so easily. But to me, this speaks to when Dr. Halpudov talked about how they brought some of their best remote viewers to the bottom of the ocean. And these remote viewers said, oh, wow, it's real quiet down here. Because I think you have no interference of any of these, um, right. The, right. these, right, you see these scalar oscillations, whether natural or otherwise. But um, it, it would make sense to me why in a natural state, again, define natural, but a planet of any kind would sort of have a lot of empty vicinities. And I don't want to use the word empty because we, relative to being a part of one with the cosmos, with these stars, with these planets, are made to be the conductors within what we define currently as empty space. But it's not empty. It's just waiting to be activated by us as the conductor, potentially. Um, but yeah, sorry, Brandon, if you want to jump in. No, it's all wonderful, dude. There's just, <clears throat> it's awesome. It's so cool. Um, Something I was going to say is that, uh, you know, perhaps this is why planets or whatever, if we're on a planet, uh, are so isolated and far away from one another. Maybe, you know, what you figure, you know, like, um, and people in the spiritual community talk about this all the time, about putting a shield up and guarding your energy from the impedance of other people's energy. And that's why, like, you could say bad vibes and, you know, this person rubbed off, rubbed me wrong, or like the energy of a place, you, you're really sensitive to that. And so cultivating that is something that you're very mindful of. But what this means is, is that you're influenced by other energies. And so it can be perturbed in a way that's uncomfortable for you. And this is something important to recognize and then clear or just kind of steer clear of, right? And so this idea that, um, you know, that uh, we are this antenna, we're this receiver, you know, and even Tesla talked about this, if you believe the story, that he received all of his ideas. Even the greys call us containers um, that I've heard in some contactee reports. So it's this interesting idea that there's sort of a, you know, a vibratory, of course, we know, and we've been talking about this, a lot of vibratory nature to this area, but also that we play such an important role in that and that your actual consciousness can be Im like inundated with other people's ideas of how reality should be. And so you'll co-create this reality due to your proximity. This is a very vibrationally switching kind of a thing. This is like a swap off of energies. And so even to this, it would make sense then that technologies would be developed that would, you know, hijack this or take advantage of it or perturb it in a way that can control you. And back to the matrix thing, you know, if this is a cloud of something that's been put over your face that you can't see because of a certain vibratory rate of this gas or whatever it is, you know, that, that tells you what reality is, you know, the trick may be that the more enlightened you get, the thinner that gas gets. And so you're able to escape that kind of, you know, um, bombardment of reality. You're able to create your own because the one provided for you and set on you like a hat or like a big mask. Like you think of the Jack in the Box logo guy, you know, a huge Jack in the Box head on him, right? And maybe that's what reality is placed around you until you figure it out. And that's what clearing all the stuff is. This is what shadow work may be. This is what clearing all of this stuff would be, would be just to dissolve this fake reality that you've been presented with that 
you know, if everybody believes it first, because that's just the way the way we're wired. You know what I mean? But then you figure it out and you come out of that that fog, that haze. But again, you're constantly bombarded with all of these other energies from all these other people um, that are here co-collecting the experience together as well. And but when it's in harmony, uh, this is when you get wonderful relationships. This is when you get talks like this, Dave. This is where you get the intention studies. So it can be in another way as well, like in a positive light, let's say, in a beneficial way that would serve people. But also, you know, to be mindful of the fact that it's everything would really allow you to be empowered by it because now you get that it's all energy and it's all influenced. So you're a little bit more mindful and protective of it, you know, a little bit. Just a little more mindful of who you share it with, you know. This is, I want to thank you for this because I'm thinking um, if it's cool with you, we shortly wrap this up just because we've, we've condensed. Oh, yeah. So yeah, we much. covered um, a lot. Right. Like aero, aerokinesis, by the way, guys, I, I, it's it's just farts. Like any, so think of this. This is if anybody you know is concerned that they don't have a superpower or something. Aerokinesis is thinking, and then operating wind, like moving wind with your mind. So whenever you think and you fart and you crop dust somebody, aerokinesis, baby. You know what I mean? You crop right. dust your wife or something. That's aerokinesis. You're a superhero. Right. So well, you. I mean, it certainly speaks to to the whole uh, expansion, com contraction, compression. It's the same idea. When you, it's like you know, when uh, when you hug someone, do you hug them like this? No, you hug them like this. It's like again, like you said, when you when when the body releases gas, it, it does it release gas like this? No, it pushes and then you know expands, contracts in, in, in with, a hilarious um, way. Yes. Right, right, exactly. Um, speaking of which, to wrap this up to what Brandon was saying, I wanted to point out a couple different things here. So we have here in atomic theory, right, what's called atomic orbital or the electron cloud. In atomic theory and quantum mechanics, an atomic orbital is a mathematical function describing the location and wave-like behavior of an electron in an atom. This function can be used to calculate the probability of finding any electron of an atom in any specific region around the atom's nucleus. Now, if we go essentially and put in, in visuals what we're looking at here, there's a few images I wanted to point out. First and foremost, this particular image right over here, because let me, um, excuse me, let me open the uh, image in new tab. Here we go. Here we are. So now let's 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 take a look at again. The carbon consists of six electrons. There's the number six again. Okay, there's the whole thing there. But let's take a look, for example, at right over here. This does to me. I personally correlate these with again the infinity symbols within ancient Egypt. You name it. This speaks to again what's called knots in physics. This speaks to you know the um, scalar uh, scalar wave knots and all of this. But let's let's take it a step back for a second as well. Let's take a look here, for example, at. Um, say, I don't know, um, the uh, an electron cloud, as it's been called here, right? This is how we would view it. And we see all these uh, an electron cloud kind of just being all over the place. Now, what happens if we understand that, again, we have Bo the Bohr versus, again, the electron cloud and neutrons and basic interactions. This is what I find quite peculiar because we see here, which I'm going to now take full screen. I think this is vital. Um, open uh, image in new tab to Brandon's point to, to wrap this up we see here the electron cloud model predicts clouds of probability around the atom now again this is what we've been discussing this whole time if we see for example that this cloud is confined within a particular limited state that if we were to draw an outline over it would comprise a wave mechanics or phase conjugation 
right? If we were to draw an outline this way, there would be a, a wave this way. If we were to draw it the other way, it would be the same wave perpendicular to the one here, just below it, which speaks to scalar commensurability, which speaks to, again, whether I saw the six and Brandon saw the nine, it doesn't matter because it doesn't matter which way you view it, just like in the film Tenet, regardless of which way you play the tape back, it, it, still, it still occurred based on the concept of motion action and chronological determination of free will through what we call intent. And so, again, this also speaks to the rearrangement of cause and effect right replace some of these e's i know they stand for electron but let's say some of these e's um, stand for effect replace some of them with the letter c for cause that goes back to the whole well we can rearrange it here rearrange it there and if neutrinos were to have some type of activation the same um through um <clears throat> say i don't know us with that third form of intent there may be a way to control the ways in which certain events occur at the micro scale, which would then occur on the macro scale, at least at a bit of a larger macro scale, to the point where we don't have to zoom in using scientific tools to observe it, it can actually be observed in our, our current state of physical um, size, which would again, in layman's terms would be manifestation, manifesting the electron clouds to a form of your focal point of intent to what you want. And understanding that in and of itself elevates, again, maybe for lack of a better word, elevates the understanding of the light waves that you can influence in your particular vicinity. Well, we just described entropy and or negentropy on a macroscopic level or microscopic. I say macro and micro because it depends where you're viewing it from, which goes right back to the whole, you know, um, it's not a six or a nine it's both but neither simultaneously just depends on where and how you're viewing it from so again and we see here the electron cloud model predicts clouds of probability around the atom if we say i don't know there was more you know studying into this that didn't bring quantum physics in a in a sort of set of disarrayed conjectures and proposals you may be able to say holy crap we can mess with what we call time using this right here so at least to me this speaks to when i see the word probability this speaks wonders to me because it's like hold on let's scale this up to a point of again implementing the cashmere effect let's implement um lucille ball's story you name it why is it that we're not feeling anything now within our teeth in our has the dental work changed possibly i'm not claiming to know i'm genuinely asking out loud but has the dental work changed sure has the technology altered Maybe not improved, we want to say improved, but maybe not altered compared to what it was before. Why are people not experiencing this now? Does this have to do with, again, the Star Wars Strategic Defense Initiative with NORAD, North American Air Defense Command Center? Not trying to get all, you know, tinfoil hat here, but we have to think if, if, if it could be, if it was much more easier to be picked up on when Miss Ball was driving, how come it's not being picked up on now? Now, okay, maybe last couple of years, a little bit different. People were in the age of Aquarius, but you know what I mean in general. I do, and it's interesting you brought up tinfoil hat because they haven't been made out of tin in a long time. They've been made mm -hmm. out of aluminum foil for quite a while, which is actually a receiver, uh, not a resistor. So remember that everybody out there that's wanting to block your mind from the government, any foil that you get nowadays, it's aluminum foil, and that will actually do the opposite of what you want. That's just my little PSA for the tinfoil hatters out there. 
Uh, but it is very interesting because then you talk about on these subatomic levels, if you're able to figure out how a reality works on a subatomic level, now you're getting into the ability to manipulate that on a subatomic level. Then, you know, in some degree, at some time, air quotes, because, I mean, we know what we know about time, then that would be created in this way on a reality type of a way. So the, then, then the idea becomes that if you can shrink down far enough and you can man manipulate that re reality at the atomic level and then it scales up to an actual reality, then this is sort of like a voodoo doll of realities, right? So now you can go and you manipulate one thing and it affects it on a huge, large scale. And so perhaps that's what these subatomic, I don't know, meddlings are all about. They're, they're about focusing in on a small part of reality that extrapolates it out to the entire thing. And then this could scale up to Mandela effects and all sorts of fun stuff, man. But this would be interesting to go on a subatomic level, voodoo doll it in a, in a way that it, you know, uh, blows up and, and is scalable. And then it reflects the changes that you made at a subatomic level, but on a reality scale. Like, that's very interesting. You, you know, manipulate how the sun... How, how hot the sun is, you know, on a subatomic level, and then you scale up, and now all of a sudden the sun's so much hotter, and we're experiencing some interesting stuff with the sun, so maybe something like that happened. Who knows? But it's just interesting when you start talking about these things that are as above, so below, these small things, and the more research that's done on the subatomic level, it's, you know, kind of, it can be alarming, I guess. You know, you're kind of like, just quit dicking around down there. You know what I mean? Just leave it alone. Well, that, you know? that, that then begs the question is, okay, what is an atom at that point? Not to get into that at the moment, but that's that whole... It's a building block of reality. Right, I mean, right. We know that, like it's a building block of matter, but really maybe it's more, right? I mean, it's two truths and a lie. So they tell you these things, but maybe there's a, so much more to what the key that that holds. Same with your, you know, um, DNA, two, two lies and a... There are two truths and a lie. They'll tell you, yeah, this and this, but they miss out on the middle part where you're the receiver for consciousness and this reality is just you and you're super powerful. You know, they just kind of leave that bit out. Right, right, exactly. Well, I'm thinking that we'll probably wrap this up here just because there was so much that we delved into that uh, there's a lot to, 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 to absorb, decompress on and, and, and take in. But is there anything that you wanted to bring up on your end, brother, pertaining to how my audience on my side can, can get a hold of you, find you, reach you, the whole thing? Yeah, expandingrealitypodcast.com, guys. Made it super easy for you. There you go. And Dave from mine? Uh, Generation Z podcast um, on uh, Instagram. Uh, I was going to say Facebook, but we don't have that. Um, if you type in Generation Z Z E D podcast on uh, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Podbean, or YouTube, uh, you will find us there. And of course, uh, patreon.com slash Generation Z for, of course, all the content like this that we delve into in much more extensive uh, uh, fashions and in and, and different uh, rabbit holes, if you will, that we wouldn't be able to do so publicly. So, Thank you so very much, everyone, and we'll catch you all next time around.